books. Okay, let, can we have the yeah, first PowerPoint? Yeah, responding to God's call or discovering what God can do with somebody who's a nobody. That was what Moses was, and that was that is what most of us, I think, believe we are. Um, we're going to look at how Moses responded to God's call after having a totally unexpected encounter with God. C.S. Lewis described himself as a reluctant convert. I can look around this room, and I'm not going to look at anybody, because otherwise you might think, oh, they're looking at so-and-so. I know two or three people in this room, at least, who, when they first met Jesus, were very reluctant converts. And now they are wholeheartedly worshipping Jesus, following Jesus, and serving him in this place and out in the community. So that's amazing. So, a good subtitle today would also be how Moses, the reluctant convert, responded to God's call. And I want to encourage you to get into the Bible. It's full of stories of people um, who hear God calling them. People who are quite like us. Okay, I just thought of some of the things that I felt about myself and I hear other people saying. Um, we write ourselves off. <clears throat> we can only focus on the negatives. We're kind of cut half empty people. We disqualify ourselves because of things that have happened in the past, because of our failures in relationship or business or finance or education. Um, and sometimes we've allowed other people's opinions of us to disqualify us. Um, so that is... The Bible is full of stories of people like that, and we too have to say those things about ourselves. <clears throat> I just want to think about some of the people, who, the unlikely people who God called. There was a small boy who went on a picnic. He went with five loaves and two fish, and uh, there was the most incredible preaching. Um, if you think it's long here, it went on for a couple of days. And uh, <laughs> this, this, this little boy... Um, he, he knew that um, the disciples needed to have his packed lunch. He, he didn't really know why, what was going on. So he gave the five loaves and two fish, all he had. And out of that, there was the most miraculous, miraculous provision. That's all he had in his hands. And then there's a prostitute who Jesus met, who was so utterly, utterly overwhelmed by the love of Jesus for her that she took the most costly perfume and anointed him. And the religious were offended. And um, then there's Peter, who was an exceptionally rough fisherman, um, who dared to obey Jesus when he said, follow me. I don't think we have any idea just how rough Peter was. And I know that there are people here, there are a lot of people here, I've been around a long time, and there are a lot of people here who when they first arrived here were very broken hearted exceptionally broken-hearted. There are people who had written themselves off. Um, there were people who believed there was no hope. Um, there were people uh, who just hadn't, didn't even know why they were here and that they just sensed that God was calling them and God has changed them. God is changing them. God is changing us all. Um, that's what he does. Um, and the wonderful thing is that God meets us exactly where we are. Not where we'd like to be, not where someone else is, exactly where we are. And there's not one of us that can't have a meeting with God here and now, this morning. 
Um, I just want to read you something. Okay. Dear God, was that really necessary? Did you really have to make that man lame just before the Sabbath? Oh, really, sometimes I think when things are too quiet up there, you say to yourself, let's see, what kind of mischief can I play on my friend down there? Is that familiar to anybody? Does anyone know what that comes from? The film? It's, it's a musical, it's Fiddler on the Roof. And um, I wanted to read that because I think we get incredibly polite and sort of set in our ways in how we communicate with God. That's a very Jewish um, way of communicating. I actually love... Um, the I spend a lot of time with children in Sunday club and youth in this church and at the moment a lot of time with new Christians um, on the Kingsbridge course and I just love um, the way they're very spontaneous about how they hear God and we've been talking on the Kingsbridge about prayer and uh, Aid led the evening and I was just talking to somebody and said do you pray out loud for all the time? I wonder when the last time was that you prayed out loud God wants to hear our voices. And it's interesting, as we speak, we start to hear back. Um, <clears throat> so let's also remember that Jesus said, unless you become like little children, they have no self-consciousness, they don't care. They just say it like it is, and they talk to God, and they listen to God, and they get pictures, and they get words. Jesus says, like little children. So <clears throat> what we're going to do is just have a look at the highlights so far of the Moses story. I'm just, I've just picked a few um, choice bits from um, the preachers that we had so far. So, just like Moses, we are the called ones. We're called to be God's person in the life situation that we find ourselves in. Nothing of our life experience is wasted when God calls us. He can use anything that has happened or is happening to further our training plan. God sees when I'm not ready, and he's prepared to wait to get my attention. God sees when I'm not ready, and he's prepared to wait to get my attention. God speaks to us in ordinary and extraordinary ways. When we set time, when we make a choice to set time for an encounter with God, God always will meet with us. But we have to be very intentional. We have to make some choices. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to really, Lord, I'm going to put this side of time, this time aside. And some of you are really, really busy with family life, and careers, and, and many, many things. But actually, we do all make choices. And we need to say, God, am I going to make some time a priority with you? There's always a creative way of finding a bit of time. You know, Susanna Wesley, she was the wife of Charles Wesley. She um, had loads and loads of children, and she was really busy. Charles Wesley was off preaching all over the place. And she used to um, just crouch down on the kitchen floor, pull her apron over her, and tell the children to run away because she was praying. That's how she did it. Um, where there's a will, there's always a way. So um, God met Moses in a burning bush. God called him by name. God came down to meet Moses exactly where he was. And God had a desire, first of all, not for Moses to do something, but to have a relationship with him. And God called Moses then to do something, to lead people from slavery in Egypt into the land. 
He said, Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I'd love you to open your Bibles, please, um, at Exodus chapter 3. Um, and to follow this, um, we are going to be engaging with the Bible. We're going to be doing a little verse-by-verse Bible study. If you don't know where Exodus is, get someone to help you. It's in the Old Testament. It's the third book. Liz, Liz is coming up to read to us. And um, I've entitled what she's going to read, um, God's To-Do List or God's job description. So this is what Moses had. This was his job description, his to-do list. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you, then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord of God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed, 
Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, <coughs> it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So, there's an awful lot going on there. I'm just going to give you a job description, okay? I've kind of put it all together into a job description. I'm sending you out of the wilderness. <coughs> Never forget that I am with you. Go to Pharaoh. It's your job to lead my people out of Egypt. Call a meeting of all the Israelite elders. Say to them, I'm the God of your ancestors. I've been watching them and I'm very sad about how hard and tough things are for them. Tell them I'm going to begin to fulfill some of my ancient promises that I made to their patriarchs that I would take them back to their promised land and I would bless them. Once you've got the elders on board, all of you go together to Pharaoh. Tell him that your God has met with you and you are requesting his permission to go into the wilderness and take a sacrifice for three days. And by the way, it's going to be very tough. Pharaoh will make things very hard for you. But I'll show Pharaoh just how powerful I am. You will have a lot of favour with the Egyptians. They'll give you lots of treasure. You are to use the only thing you have, which is the shepherd's staff, to demonstrate my power. It's all you've got. You are to perform healing miracles. I think that's pretty intimidating to someone who's just, just encounters God. I don't know what you would feel like, I'd feel completely overwhelmed by that job description. The activists, activists amongst us really like to have goals and objectives and aims and to know where we're going um, and to know what a job entails. But Moses could never, never, never have achieved what he did just with a job description. 
wouldn't have happened. He'd have become completely swamped and completely overwhelmed. He could only do what he had to do to take people through very, very tough times by experiencing daily God's presence. I just want to say that again. God has amazing things ahead. He has tough things. And we'll only get through with what God's asked us to do if we daily seek encounters with him. In fact, constantly seek encounters with him. He is with us. He loves to talk to us. And he loves to hear us talking to him. So what we're going to do today is to do a sort of verse-by-verse Bible study to see what it was that Moses' excuses were. Okay, so there were lots of conversations, there were lots of questions, there were lots of excuses, there were lots of self-doubt and masses of self-consciousness. But most importantly, this all began with Moses establishing a relationship with God, God establishing a relationship with Moses. And the only way in which God could, could fulfill what he had for him to do was by Moses becoming a friend of God and walking with God and eventually having such an intimate walk with him that he had a face-to-face -face relationship with him, like one talks to a friend. Not social media, that's not communication of friendship, but face-to-face -face communication. So, it, I think it's really important that we understand that Moses wasn't doing something for God, but he was doing something with God. So, whatever God's calling us to, we're not doing it for him, but we're doing it with him, and he's doing it with us. <coughs> Did you know that Jesus has given us a to-do list? <coughs> a pretty, pretty overwhelming one, a pretty... Uh, well, I find it quite extraordinary, the to-do list that we have. That's just not me. That's just not one of you. It's all of us. This is our job description. Preach good news to the poor. Heal the sick. Make disciples. Get rid of demons. Remain in my love. That is the job description that we have. As followers of Jesus individually and as a church. That is what we are asked to do. Do you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he had exactly the same to-do list. It was no different. He had to do all those same things. And do you know, he, even he, that incredible, incredible Apostle, he got frightened, he got intimidated, he got overwhelmed by the task. And so, in the night, one night, Jesus said to him, Go on doing what you have to do. Go on speaking. Don't be afraid. I've got many people in this place. And that is God's word to us. So we're going to have a look at, um, on a PowerPoint of the five excuses um, that, um, that Moses made. We'll have them. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Okay, is anyone, would I just like people to shout them out one by one. You know, maybe you want to shout out the one that's pertinent to you, maybe you'd rather not anyone know. Okay, so let's have someone shouting out the first one. Like, unless if you really mean it. What, me? You must be joking. Right, the second one. God, you have no idea how ignorant I am. The third one. Self-doubt and self-consciousness. And the next? Inability. And the last. 
Okay, now I'm not actually going to say, because this isn't about naming shame it, but I myself have experienced all of those and still do. And I don't believe there's anyone here who doesn't feel like that at some time. And just remember, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are full, full of resource for our healing. And you know, we are called to go out and heal the sick. How can we go out and heal the sick unless we're in the process of being healed ourselves? It just doesn't, it, it won't stand outside there. People will soon say, oh, they're only just saying what they think they should say. You and me need to have a testimony. This is where God is dealing with my low self-esteem. This is where God is taking me out of self-consciousness and into God-consciousness. That is the testimony that we need to be encountering. We need to be discovering as we encounter the presence of God in our everyday lives. So I would describe Moses as a man with chronic insecurity. Um, he was a man who moved suddenly from the privilege of being a prince to the solitary and unremarkable life of a desert dweller. He had an enormous amount of thinking time, 40 years of it. And I reckon that he went over and over the mistakes he'd made, the failures he'd made when he was in the court. He, he would have just reflected a huge amount. And in that time, he did not have a clue what God was preparing him for. Not a clue. He had no idea um, that he was being prepared for his most important task, to shepherd the Lord's people. And it's really interesting that Jesus had something of a similar story in that he spent the first 30 years of his life in absolute obscurity. We read very little about him. <coughs> And then he faced not 40 years, but 40 days in the desert. And in that time, he had to deal with some big stuff. And then he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was taken out. Um, and he knew that he was on this mission that God had given him to fulfill. So, let's look at our Bibles. And we're going to see um, just uh, how, how Moses responds. So, excuse number one. What me? You must be joking. So if you look in verse 11, you will see that Moses begins to protest. Who am I to go before Pharaoh? Are we there? Verse 11. Chapter three. Oh, chapter three. We all got it? Who am I to go before Pharaoh? I think it's really, really important that God doesn't step in and try and reassure him. He doesn't deny what Moses had said. He doesn't deny his feelings. To be told you're fine when you're expressing something very, very uh, important is not helpful. We must be very careful we don't try and reassure people, go further than God. Moses didn't feel fine. He knew, he knew something big was happening. And uh, I think that in those moments, he might well have been extremely humbled um, and overawed because of everything that had happened. He just had this encounter that he, he couldn't understand. He, he'd seen this burning bush and it was just totally unlike anything that he'd encountered before. 
And so 40 years of a very humdrum and uh, probably challenging lifestyle was suddenly and dramatically interrupted. And in that moment, his life was forever changed. What Moses couldn't see, what none of us can see, and we're very, very, we're not very good at this, is that God's time was always the right time. This was God's wake-up call. When God speaks, however he speaks, unexpectedly or um, in a way that interrupts everything that's going on in our life, we can be taken off guard. And in that moment, we have a choice. Um, we can uh, either just kind of pretend it didn't happen, or uh, we can stop. And I just want to encourage us all not to let the old familiar patterns of our lives. You know, we have a rhythm to our life and we feel that maybe nothing's changing and, oh, things are a bit dull and we're in a bit of a wilderness. But actually, there are moments when God will show us that butterfly in the window. God will show us something extraordinary. He will show us a burning bush. I don't know what he'll show you. He has his own way of arresting your attention. And it's really important that we stop and take note. God was actually asking Moses to go way beyond the limits he set for himself. And he was being required to stretch himself. Anyone heard that anywhere before? Oh my goodness, come on. Pete, where have you heard that before? Uh, in this, in this, in from the preach here. Yeah. Well, from the preach, sorry, I was yeah. seeing the first one. Oh, okay, anyone heard that in a preach before? Well, I reckon you better go back over the last few weeks. I'm not going to tell you. It was a very particular word in an amazing preach by our Matt Gopal. So there we go. I'm going to say it again, because obviously it didn't quite go in that time. Mm. Actually, Matt, would you like to say it? Well, I asked everybody to do stretches after their exercises. Yeah, stretch, they stretch themselves. Don't set limits on yourself. That's what God said. Hey, everybody, are we taking God's word seriously? I'm really, really passionate about this. You can see I'm quite stirred up. God's word is here. Are we going to take it seriously? Or aren't we going to take it seriously? This is, this is, these are serious times. So I just really want to encourage you to get, get dig into the word that's come on a Sunday. Don't just have this amazing meal and then go out and have the next meal and think, God, I, I'm just, you know, it, things are absolutely wonderful. God is speaking to us. Let's sit up and take note. I tell you, the new Christians are, and the kids are, it's wake-up time for us all. Okay, so. The other thing that I think we need to take on board, that we're not very good at taking on board, is that God doesn't suddenly change us overnight. We might have a sudden encounter, we might see some things in a moment, but we're not suddenly different. That transformation, that inner transformation, takes a lifetime. I just want to... Read something from Alec Matia, amazing commentator. The Lord didn't promise to make Moses adequate, somehow to transform him into someone who was totally up for the task and all squeaky clean. What he did promise was the sufficiency of his own presence. In other words, Moses was called to faith to go into the work, not expecting to be a different man, 
but expecting to go with a God who is utterly sufficient. God met Moses' inadequacy with a pledge of his own sufficiency and called Moses to believe the promises and to demonstrate obedience. And God's word says, my strength is made perfect in human weakness. My grace is absolutely sufficient. We all sang this morning, your grace is enough. Let's just dig into that all the time, every day. God, your grace is enough for whatever you're calling me to, because it is. So, the first 40 years um, of Moses' life, he was a somebody. The second 40 years of life, he discovered that he was a nobody. And the last 40 years of his life, he spent discovering what God can do with a nobody. And I just want to say a little bit of personal testimony now. Although the time scales are very, very different, um, the earliest years, adult years, when I was a Christian, I actually believed I was a somebody. I thought I was pretty good. I, I really thought I knew the Bible well. I, I could recite the verses, I could teach, I could do all sorts of things. I really thought I was a, a somebody. And then I had a very dramatic encounter with God, actually, in the Methodist church just down the road. And in a moment, I knew I was a nobody. I was an absolute nobody in that moment. And, um, and then I, I went uh, really um, on a journey, uh, experiencing the grace of God in a new way, and know that, knew that only he could um, transform me into the kind of person that he'd made me to be. And then, many, many, many years later, I found myself in a wilderness. It was a wilderness of utter desolation. It was loss, it was pain, it was very dark. It was not a nice place to be. And in that wilderness, um, I just sensed God started to speak. And he said, I want you to just reconsider something. I don't want you to consider something new. I want you to reconsider something. A long, long time ago, I asked you if you loved me. And you said you did. And I said to you, go and feed sheep and go and feed lambs. I want you to reconsider that. And God spoke that to me in a desperate, desperate place. But I knew that he was calling me back to respond to what he'd said many, many years before. <coughs> in the deserts, where God will... Sorry, that we find deserts. We find ourselves in deserts, but God will not leave us deserted. Okay? We find ourselves in deserts, but God will not leave us deserted. His nature is to reach into our darkest places. I believe someone needs to hear that this morning. God's nature is to reach into our very, very darkest places. So let's move on now to verse 12. God promises Moses to be with him and give him a sign. I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people of Egypt. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I just want to stop and, and say a little bit about that. It's quite an important moment for Moses. So, it's what Alec Matea, who's an amazing commenta commentator, describes as anti an anticipatory sign. 
So it wasn't a sign in the moment, because this was going to happen ages in the future, but it was a sign, a promise, that Moses would have, that he would look back on and think, wow, God promised me this. But I just want to give you a little bit of um, context. So Moses had been asked to lead the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land. So he stepped out in faith uh, to, to respond to God's call, but he had no idea how hard this would be, not a clue. And I reckon there would have been a bit of a honeymoon period for Moses. So these Hebrew slaves were, you know, he was the best thing. They were, they were um, being led out of the Promised Land and they were having all these signs, this amazing walk through um, the Red Sea when the waves went back. <coughs> That was the honeymoon period, but they got into the desert and then they faced some reality with their leader. And uh, they, you know, the reality kicked in. There were the grumbles, there were the complaints, there were the why don't you, the why don't we, yip, 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 that went on. And poor old Moses, he realised he was in for a hard time. And because of the attitude of the people and because of some other circumstances, Moses actually took far longer to get to the Promised Land and had to go on a very different, very circuitous route um, than he should have. It shouldn't have taken very long, but it took 40 years. And the, the uh, Mount Horeb um, was the place where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And Mount Horeb is the place where God promised that he would meet with his people again. But actually, that wasn't on the way to the Promised Land. That was just kind of like right back where they started. So when Moses got back to Mount Horeb, because the people were so moaning and grumbling and they went round and round and they had to go another route, he would have suddenly remembered, but God promised me it's okay that we would come and worship on this mountain. So however hard it is, I know that we're going somewhere. I think that's a really, really important little nugget. So, excuse number two. Um, God, you have no idea how ignorant I am. So if you look at verse 13, um, there are more protests from Moses. I don't know how to explain who you are. I barely know myself. Um, when I tell the people that the God of their ancestors have sent me, they will ask what your name is and I haven't a clue. Um, these are my people, but I've been alienated from them for 40 years. I'm a stranger among them. God had called Moses by name. He said Moses, Moses, when he met him. And now Moses needs to ask God, what is your name? What is your name? And actually, in a nutshell, God was saying, it doesn't matter who, who you think you are. I am with you. I am sending you. I am who I am. Just tell the people, I am the sent you. It's quite a complex um, idea to unpack God saying, I am. And I'm not going to try, it's not my brief, I am not a scholar, I'm not a translator, I'm not a, a theologian. And more has probably been written about this particular passage than most other passages in the Old Testament. But just, that as we allow the Holy Spirit to kind of show us who God is, we'll start to get a revelation about this. God is the one who is without beginning and without end. He is Alpha and Omega. God alone is self-sufficient and self-determining. 
Uh, right at the end of the Bible, um, we're told, it's a really interesting order in one of the places where these words appear, I am the God who is, who was, and who is to come. That theme of I am goes right through the Bible. I just want to quote um, a man called Dallas Willard. He, he sums it up quite well. I am who I am is the highest biblical revelation of God's otherliness, the mystery of God, the metaphysical nature of God, the God who in exists entirely from his own resources. I'm going to just read that again. The I am who I am is the highest biblical revelation of God's otherliness, the mystery of God, the metaphysical nature of who God is. It is the God, he is the God who exists totally from his own resources. And he's also the one who says, I come down. I come down to love you. I come down to live among you. And he's the one who sends us. He is the one who is with us. I love this. This is quite an interesting book, actually. It belonged to my father-in-law. And uh, it's got lots of scribbles in it. So, he, there's a quote from Tolkien. Tolkien's character, Treebeard, speaks of God's name in this way. My name is growing all the time. And I've lived a very, very long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to. I think that's just absolutely beautiful. His name is changing, he's growing all the time. His name is a story. That is who I am. Who I am is. The important thing is that we don't go because of what we know. We go because of who we know. That's why we go. Moses is actually aware of how very little he knows about God and how very unqualified he is. Um, I just like to think about Moses in the court of Pharaoh. He'd been rescued and uh, he was there as a toddler and his mum was there with him. And I'm absolutely convinced that she told him the stories. That she said, hey, something amazing happened to you, boy. You know, you were rescued and that's why you're here. And she prayed for him. She spoke to him of spiritual truths of the ancient faith. I'm convinced that would have happened. And I'm convinced that she prayed for him. And somewhere deep in Moses, he knew that he'd once been miraculously rescued. And so it, there was something deep in him that had that kind of hidden faith. I'm going to be rescued again. So, Moses, even though he'd had that kind of experience with his mum, had no instructions um, from a Hebrew teacher. All he had was a recent testimony of a life-changing encounter with God. That's all he had. I've met God. And there may be people here this morning who can't explain their faith at all, but you've met God. He's, he's been with you. You've known something. You have a testimony right away that is yours, that no one can take away. Absolutely no one. Um, I just want to tell you a little story. Somewhere I've got the love. Yeah. 
So, we're in the middle of the King's Bridge, which is our amazing group for new Christians. And have you all seen this? Yeah? Okay, this is what we encourage people to give away. Um, it's an amazing little pamphlet which is all about the love of God. And we've been using this on the King's Bridge. And uh, I sensed at the beginning that God was asking me to give this to somebody, a very particular person. But somehow, you know, you kind of, you can't just give something to somebody. You've got to ask God to sort of find the way in, to open the door. And um, so he's been doing that. And I just want to tell you a tiny bit of what he's been doing. Um, about, when did we start the Kingsbridge? Uh, how long ago? About five weeks ago we started the Kingsbridge. And God said, I want you to give this to this person. And there was no way I could give it to them right away. This afternoon, Valentine's Day, I'm going to take it to them. And it's just like God's open little doors, then another and another. So, on Friday afternoon, um, this person, who I'm embarking on a friendship with, knocked at my door and said, can I come in? And uh, I was actually just about to go upstairs and finish my preaching prep. But there was no way I could say, uh, no, really sorry, I'm preparing my preaching. So she came in and... Um, we huddled around my Rayburn, which is where I do lots of talking and listening. And um, she is a woman who has the most incredible, incredible compassion for refugees. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about this in church. She might even be coming along to tell you about an amazing project that she and her husband are called to from nothing for refugees. I don't think she knows a thing about God's love. But she is expressing God's love in a truly remarkable way. I'm absolutely bowled over by the kind of love that's being expressed, expressed by this woman. So we sat together and uh, she did a lot of talking. And she said to me, I don't know what's going on in the world, but it's awful, isn't it? I think, what do you think? I, it's just terrible. And she was sort of speaking about the different areas of the world where there was so much going on. And... Um, Actually, I didn't have an answer. She didn't want an answer. And I think we have to be so careful when we're sharing our faith that we know the time to speak. Remember, God is a God who listens and God is a God who speaks. And maybe the best gift we can start to give to people out there is to listen with the ears of God. But actually, he is a God who speaks. So this afternoon, I'm just going to just drop this in and just say something. Just drop in one word to start off with. And, uh, you know, I believe the Lord wants to wake us up. And he wants to take us out. And I think also we can help each other. You know, in home group, you can sort of talk about, oh, well, I find this really difficult. And someone will have an idea about perhaps how you could reach out. Um, I know Viv won't mind me saying this. She's reaching out to her friends. And it's such a creative way. And I'm so excited about it. She's just got a few friends and she's asking them for a coffee. And they're doing the little Life Bible Society life course, which is so accessible. And that's what she's doing. And she doesn't know where it's going to go. And, but I believe that the door has been opened. And she is now able to speak of God's love to some people who, who don't really know what it's all about. So... Our greatest gift is our testimony, and that was Moses' greatest gift. So, excuse number three, self-doubt and self-consciousness. 
At long last, verse 21, Moses seems to be reassured that God would give him favour with his Israelites and things would get better. God gives him a bit of encouragement. They would not be leaving Egypt empty-handed. So there'd be some gold and some silver and some designer gear. Just amazing. And, you know, I can imagine Moses, he was an entrepreneur. He'll be thinking, oh, that's good. We've got something to start off the journey with. We've got a few resources to start off the journey with. God's promised that because we've got, you know, we've got a bit of survival out there. Um, but then, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, his focus goes right back on himself. And that internal debate rages. Listen to this, or read it, follow it. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? It was all about him, yet again. It's me, 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 what I think, what I feel. And here was Moses saying, what if? I want to tell you that in the darkest moments of my life, God said to me, don't you ever, ever, ever say what if. I haven't been faithful to that command, but he said, don't say what if. I believe there's no room for us to say what if. There are, there's plenty of room for us to, to, to search out with God the mysteries and, and to just dig deeper into who he is and to know that we have questions. Not all our questions are answered. Not all our doubts are dealt with. But I think it's really, really important on our journey following him not to say what if. So here's Moses, what if. So he's still played by thoughts about himself. He's self-conscious rather than God-conscious. He's doubting himself rather than trusting God's power and presence. He's doubting his own abilities. He's not only focused on his own internal fears, he's intimidated by the culture that surrounds him. Just a question, what is the fear that you have that intimidates you about the culture around you? And it'll be different for all of us. I'm just going to tell you one of mine. Mine is not being able to explain myself to people who have a very different brain. Uh, Fraser and I have a niece, uh, she's called Liz. Um, she is highly, highly intelligent. She's a scientist, she's an activist. Um, a climate change activist. Um, she's going places. I love her deeply, and I find it. I have found it really hard to be able to just just say a testimony. You know, God's answered that prayer, or you know, I'm praying for you. That there's a real block there for me because I'm intimidated by her knowledge. For all I know, she might be looking for God in all that she sees, all that she's experiencing. So let's, let's not be intimidated by anything or anybody. Paul found himself intimidated when he was, you know, he found himself uh, in Corinth and, and bad things were happening and he was intimidated and God had to come to him again and say, don't be afraid. Everybody, God wants to deal with our fears. That is what he wants to do, to deal with our fears and we all have them. Okay, verse 2. Would someone like to call out what was the question that God asked Moses? One question. What have you got in your hand? Okay, what have you got in your hand? Um, okay, when was the last time God asked you a question? 
When was the time, last time God asked you a question? You might not have been able to answer it. You might be pondering with him about it. When was the last time he asked you a question? Anyone got anything they'd like to share? Simon. About half an hour ago when Liz read, what is that in your hand? Yeah. You heard him saying that to you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. About half an hour ago. Well, now you can get engaging with him, can't you? Like Moses did. Brilliant. Fantastic. You might be um, making all sorts of excuses, like, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with God where he asks me questions. I don't, I don't do God like that. But God is a relational God. His God has come down. He's come down to presence himself with us, to show us his love. That's how he relates with us. He talks, we listen. We listen, he talks. It's about conversation. It's about friendship. And um, I just want to encourage you, if you want a few sort of um, tips um, to know how to get going with all of this. First of all, a spiritual tip. If you think, I'm not that kind of person, God doesn't speak to me like that, we'll get hungry. <coughs> Get hungry for him, because he's waiting to say some things to you. He's waiting to show you some things. Start to get spiritually hungry. If you aren't feeling like that, say, God, I want to want you more. I want this relationship with you. I want you to speak to me. I want you to show me things. I want you to see your love. I want to be healed from all my insecurities. Start engaging with him, and he will speak to you. The other thing that is really quite helpful, it's more practical. The Bible is full of questions. I don't know if you are aware, but in the rabbinic uh, tradition, um, the rabbis always taught people by asking them questions. So they would ask them a question, they'd have to go away and seek it out and search it out. And so there's a lot of questions in the Bible. And I believe that the very, very first question that we have in the story of the creation, um, which is the story of God's love, God's revelation to us, is a very important story, it's a very important question. The very first question that God ever asked anybody in the Bible. Does anyone know what it was? Adam, where are you? And I believe that there are people here this morning and God is actually wanting us to hear. Where are you? Where are you? That is a really, really important question. And then there was someone who was so passive, so apathetic, just couldn't do anything for themselves, and they wanted Jesus to heal them. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He asked them a question, what do you want me to do for you? I think there's people here this morning, and Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he wants to start that conversation with us. This is what I want, Jesus. This is what I want, God. I want this, this, and this. And it will be different for all of us. And then there's that uh, wonderful question. Thank you, Simon, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? You know, if there's nothing else, perhaps this morning the Lord's asking you to go away and say, what's in your hand? What have you got? What can you do? Maybe you make cakes. Maybe you love to have people for coffee. Maybe you love to clean houses with people and help people sort their houses out. Maybe all sorts of maybes. What is in your hand? What do you carry? Because that's what God will use. All Moses had was his staff. Moses had no idea that he was going to be asked to do miraculous things. God said, do it. Throw it to the ground. And you know, God is waiting for our obedience. So what have I got in my hand? Okay, you go away and use that. 
That's what God is asking us. So, the final excuse, inability and low self-esteem. I'm not very good with words. I get tongue-tied, my words get in a muddle. Please send somebody else. Do you know, God isn't very polite. We're very English and uh, we, we, we kind of, we're very polite. But you know, we can't actually hear the tone or the nuance in which God, um, God spoke to Moses. Um, perhaps he was saying, for goodness sake, Moses, grow up. Just grow up and shut up. Stop and think. Who made you? Who gave you the mouth that you've got? Who gave you the ability to speak, the mind, the way to deal with words? Who gave that you? That was me. I am with you. Don't worry. Just don't worry. Just grow up and trust me. I'll tell you what to say. I'll tell you when you get there. I won't tell you ahead of time. You know, when Fraser and I were called to pastor this church in 2000, we had no idea what God would say to us about what we had to do. We knew he called us. We knew he called us to bring healing and salvation in this place, but we had no idea. It was step by step. He said one thing, then he said another, then he said another. That's how relationship is. So, I'm going to make a start somewhere. One of my... Um, Professors, my piano professor when I was at music college, she used to tell a story of um, her little boy um, who was very precocious. And uh, one day, um, he, he was very young when he said this, he said, Mummy, will you make some custard? And she said, um, oh, well, I'll try. He said, don't try. Don't just try, do it. <laughs> so, in fact, that was how I was taught. Don't try, do it. And I believe that's what God wants to say to some of us. Do it. Just get on and do it. Trust me, I'm with you. I'm, I'm love come down. I just want to say that we've talked a little bit about practical things in the last few moments. God reveals himself in mysteries. There's much we don't know about him. There's so much we do not know about him. The otherliness of God. And uh, I love to go places where I'm confronted with that the creator, the, the majestic one, the one who is without beginning, without end, to just drink in that of him. And I think we all need to find those places. For me, it's, it's mountains and it's wild seas. That's how it is for me. It's also going to Buckfast Abbey. There's something of God that I encounter there that's in the mystery. And there are many, many mysterious things about who God is and where he is. And his God whose love come down. So... You know, find those places. And also, please be reassured. God doesn't answer every question. Um, this book um, by Steve Chalk is absolutely brilliant about doubts and questions. He doesn't just answer every single question we have. And we might get the answer to one, but then there'll be a million more. And you know, Billy Graham said, he was interviewed um, a long time ago on the television, and he was asked if he had any doubts. He said, I wouldn't exactly say doubts. I have so many unanswered questions. I have so many unanswered questions. We don't know why. There's many things we don't know why. But we can trust the one who loves us with the most extraordinary love. He is the one who, the Bible says, dwells in unapproachable light. He's holy. And he asked Moses to take his shoes off. And I believe that's what he's saying to us.
take your shoes off, show me respect, show me honour in every single part of your lives and I will meet with you. He does sometimes seem to hide himself, but actually in that hiding of himself, we grow and grow and grow in our desire to seek him, or we become cynical. But he wants us to, to find him, to truly find him. So Moses, his, his excuses, they were many, our excuses are many. And over the next 40 years, he just, he changed so radically. So he became intimate with God. His relationship went deeper and deeper. He couldn't possibly see what would happen in his relationship with God in 40 years' time. We don't know. We don't know where God would take us in friendship, in intimacy, in trust. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what God's got prepared for every one of us. Moses didn't know what blessings were ahead. And he didn't know the challenges that were ahead, and neither do we. But I tell you, the blessings are incredible. And God is asking us, as a church family, not to be silent. He's asking us to speak out, as he was asking Moses to go and speak out. Moses protested that he couldn't speak. He got tongue-tied. He was, he was not eloquent. I believe it's a time for healing. So that the reasons why we get tongue-tied, and we get self-conscious, and we just, we, we, we wither up inside, are not what God wants. I just love that picture that Rachel had this morning about the chains in the hands. You know, those are the chains that represent our insecurities, our self-consciousness, our self-doubt, our chronic um, apathy. Those are the things that God wants to heal and he wants to bless. And he wants to release us so that as we're healed, we go out and we bring healing and we bring life to a very, very desperate town. Very desperate town. God told Moses that um, he, would, um, he was coming down uh, to be among them. God said to Jesus, down to earth. Jesus is God's ultimate expression of love come down. Jesus is God's demonstration of I am. I am the way. I am the truth.